generation has that question. And so I show a hand on the seat where were you in? Or do you remember where you were when this happened? How many of you can tell me by raising your hand where you were when the first astronaut landed on the moon? Okay. How many of you can raise your hand and tell me when you heard the news that JFK or Martin Luther King Jr. had been shot and murdered? Okay. How many of you can remember where you were when you first heard about the shooting at Columbine High School? Okay. How many of you can remember where you were on 9-11? Those dates have significance. I got one more for you. Where were you when you realized that the coronavirus was for real? When did you first realize it? For me personally, it's when I received an email from Dr. Duncan that one of our pupils had passed away due to it. Tony Hamilton, with a friend of mine, Tony Hamilton was a uh, base one. If you've been to our Southern People concert, you saw Tony sing. Tony had one finger song he always sang at every concert because it just, it fit his personality and his voice. Tony and I were roommates when we went to North Korea and China. So that's how I know Tony. I always pick on Tony because Tony got married two weeks before we left for China and still came to be my roommate. And I looked at him and said, man, you just got married? And you left and come to hang out with me. But I remember getting that email. For me, that's when the coronavirus started. When somebody I care about, somebody that was a friend, somebody that I appreciate, somebody that I would be some study for in my life, has to be the complications. The thing about all these things that I shared with you is they are significant because they surround a particular event. For some, they're historic, for some, they're tragic. For a lot of days, you think about 9-11, you think about the assassination of JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. We think about Columbine. We think about, I remember where I was when I saw that David Koresh in Waco, Texas had set that compound on fire. I remember where I was when the Challenger exploded on liftoff. These days are significant because they are around tragedy. They bring thoughts to our minds, they bring thoughts to our hearts, but they change things. They change our culture. They change the way we look at things in our world today. And for a lot of the events we just mentioned, they have a negative impact. Because we see the world a little bit scarier. We see the world a little bit darker. And they strike with no warning. There's no, just give you a heads up, this event's coming. They come in amongst us, and they do, they change our lives forever. It sounds very familiar. It sounds like 2020, doesn't it? Of all the years we have never lived in, we could call this probably the strangest, the weirdest, the worst year we've ever experienced. 2020, there's never been another year like it, and I pray to the good Lord there's not another year like this. Because think about everything that we've experienced in 2020. Every headline that we've experienced could be found in a science fiction movie, could be found in a novel, or we could take the headlines and put them in a sci-fi movie. Think of the things we've experienced in just one year's time. A global pandemic, economic recession, mass unemployment, political division, 
And the reason why I'm spinning that one is because it's just spinning. Um, cultural upheaval, racial reckoning, recorded wildfires with actual fire tornadoes. Did you know there was such a thing as a fire tornado? Not until I read the headline. And because I'm a wise man, I always ask my wife because she's smarter than I am. Lady, have you ever heard of fire tornadoes? Nope. I'm not. <laughs> I got one over. Um, no, fire tornadoes, those aren't a real thing. But then we also think about the hurricane we had this year and even the flooding. And I don't think I missed anything. And we think about all these events that are taking place in 2020, and there is a word for 2020. It may not be the official word, but if I hadn't even said it, I would make this the official word of 2020. Here's the word. Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. You know what that is? That's when you take out your phone and just look at the headlines for the day. When you start looking at the headlines, we think, it can't possibly get any worse. And you scroll and go, yeah, it just got worse. I mean, how many of us remember scrolling through earlier this summer? On top of everything else, we hear the word murder hornets. <laughs> and you start researching that. What is a murder hornet? What do I need to be worried about? And we, it, this is such a bad thing. There is actually now counseling available for doom scrolling. Because we are so worried what's going on in our world. We're so concerned about what the latest headline is. We are in a mode of panic. We're in a mode of fear. We're in a mode of concern because we're reading the headline on our phone. And I'll tell you what it's worse is for some of you, you decide to look at your headline before you go to bed. And guess what happens? You don't sleep. Because you're thinking, well, what's coming next? And again, that's the world we're living in, and that's what we're thinking about. And I'm not trying to be a downer this morning. I'm not trying to bring us down in our spirit. But if any year is coming, this is the year 2020. We need Christmas. We need Christmas in 2020. This year, among all the other years we've experienced in 2020, we need to be able to focus our minds, our hearts, and our thoughts on the things of Christ and put our hope back in Christmas. And in 2020, if nothing else, this is the year that we need Jesus in a mighty way. To point us back into that direction, to focus our thoughts back on that direction. And here's the good news this morning. We've made it to this time of season. We call this season Advent. Because it's a reminder of things that come. The word Advent is all about hope. That's our thing for this morning. We're thinking about this time of year. Hope is our word for today. This is the definition of Advent. The word Advent means coming or arrival. The season is traditionally a time of expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. That's what this season brings. It brings expectation. We know great things are coming. It brings waiting. That waiting, it brings anticipation. It brings a longing for something different than what we've experienced. But Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links to the past, the present, and the future all together. It offers us an opportunity to focus on the things of God and look forward, hopefully, with eager anticipation of what God has in store for us. It's to look forward to seeing the coming of Jesus Christ into this world to bring his redeemed back to him. That's what this season entails. Yet, we get so caught up. Now, granted, this is a little different kind of a year, but in years past, we've always packed our schedule with events. 
I don't know about you, but my December calendar becomes full by October. There's this event, that event, there's this thing, there's that thing. Uh, you know, I saw where a friend of mine is in seven different Christmas parades this December as they eat. Seven a lot of Christmas. But we fill up our calendars, and the problem is we fill up our calendars in such a way that we take our focus on why we celebrate Christmas, why we have this hope, why we celebrate Advent, because of all these other events, and we take it a step further. Now, this is a different year. This is the first time in the recorded history that Black Friday lasted for the whole month of November. That is a husband's worst nightmare. And Black Friday is already bad enough for the whole month. But it's a different year. But again, we get caught up with, we got my gifts from this person, gifts from that person. We got to do this event, that event in years past. That's why I'm thankful. I shared it earlier in our announcements. I'm thankful we can put things on the calendar that we're going to have a candlelight community service, that we're going to have our traditional Christmas Eve service, to put the focus back on the things of God. Because when we think about this season of Advent, it's a time to prepare our hearts. And help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. It's a story of God's redeeming love for our world. That's the purpose of this time of year. It's to take focus on ourselves and put it all on Him. That waiting, that anticipation, that welcoming of the season, bringing Him into our sphere, our little part of the world. But it most importantly, into our individual lives. But I also want to remind you, this is not a season of pretending to be happy. It's not a season to try to cover up pain and hardship you might be dealing with. It's not a time of year to try to cover up those past experiences that hurt, that deep hurt that you dealt with. It's a time of year when we look at the reality of who God is and bringing His Son into our world, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a season of expectation, preparation, and opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence. And more than that, it's about being in God's presence and not worry about being in a season of presence. Yeah, presents are nice, but they only last for a little bit. But to be in His presence continually. So this morning, I want to suggest to you that the craziness, the uncertainty, the pandemic that is 2020. That you and I have been given a gift. We have been given the opportunity to rediscover Christmas. And to put that in the forefront of our mind, the forefront of our thoughts. For the next number of weeks, we're going to look at this idea of rediscovery of Christmas. This Christmas season, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about love. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to gather together to celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ. This is our focus for the next number of weeks. So this morning, I want us to, redis to rediscover Christmas, but listen very carefully. I want us to rediscover Christmas when we are surrounded by uncertainty. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next hour holds. But in a season of uncertainty, I want you to find hope that is found in this holiday we read the Christmas narrative, and we read the Christmas narrative, we know what's coming. We know the Christmas story. But we think about 2020 for a moment. We think about how bad it was, has been for us. 
Imagine being a child of God in 2020. Imagine living during the times before Jesus showed up. Imagine being a child of God living in Jerusalem, living in Bethlehem, living in Galilee, and thinking about the past, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise was made to them. Imagine living in a world where you've been captured by the Assyrians or the Babylonians, or you're being controlled by these massive empires known as the Greeks and the Romans. Imagine living under those conditions. Imagine living under those customs, living under that culture. We think about the Greeks and the Romans, that culture that was being pushed upon the children of God, we still see the effects of that culture today. But imagine being in their shoes, wondering, if God was going to ever show up? Was God going to keep his promise with that covenant he made to his children? Was God going to do what he said he was going to do? Are we going to be under this torture, this extreme oppression, this hardship? Is there anything coming? Is there anything that's going to change? And I can imagine for the children of God, here was their cry, how long Oh God, how long, oh God, is it going to be before you show up? How long, oh God, before the promised Savior shows up? How long are we going to live under the oppression of this Roman Empire? How long, oh God? And you wonder for a moment, you wonder for just a moment if there was even an ember of hope smoldering. Was there still a fire of hope burning in anyone? When we look at Luke's account, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 in just a moment. When we look at Luke's account, we see the Christmas story. We see Mary and Joseph. We see the baby. We see the shepherds. We think about the Christmas story, and a lot of times, in the Christmas story, this is what it looks like. we got Mary and Joseph in the baker. The shepherds have shown up with their flocks by night. And we also throw in the wise men just because they need to be there, even though we know they're two years out. We will make the Christmas story complete. So we put everybody together in the manger. We say silent night and pack it up and go home. In Luke's account, we're going to see the Christmas story. We're going to see Mary, Joseph, the baby. We're going to see the shepherds. But we don't see the wise men in Luke's account. But this morning, I'm going to draw your attention to two individuals that are part of the Christmas story. Two individuals who have been waiting. Two individuals who have been hoping, anticipation, and expectation. You got your Bibles up in Luke chapter 2. Look with me in verses 22 through 38. And as we look at this, I want you to listen to the response of these two individuals when they come face to face with this child. They come face to face with the Savior of the world. We pick it up here in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. And it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in Christ Jesus to him, for, for him according to the custom law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace 
according to your work, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring redemption to the Gentiles and the glory of your people to Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were foraspoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through his own soul also. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. In coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for the redemption of Israel. In the lives of two individuals, we see the hope of Israel. And not just hope, we see a torch of hope. We see an expectation of God to do what he said he was going to promise to do. They have been waiting for this moment right here. We see Simeon, we see Anna, and they're the elders in this narrative. Scripture says they both lived long lives. They had seen things, they have experienced things, they've experienced the hardship of their people, they've experienced the suffering and pain in their own lives. Man, if you look at Anna, did you see that? Anna, it says she was married for seven years, but had been a widow for 84 years. These two individuals have been waiting, they've been through the river, so to speak. But we see them. They both, if you look at Simeon, if you look at Anna, and you see the one thing that jumps out, they both remain devoted to God. They both were remaining devoted. For Simeon, if you go back to verse 25, it says that he was just, he was devout, waiting for the consolation. The word consolation is also where we get the word comforter. It's also where we get the word hope. They were, he was waiting for hope. It says about Anna down there in verse 36 and 37, rather, that she had not departed from the temple, but that she was fasting. She was praying. Both of these individuals remained faithful and devoted to God, and they were ready to see God do something great. But did you notice in this account that either Simeon or Anna are shocked or surprised with this baby? Everywhere else in the Christmas narrative, the individuals have to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Encouraged? Think about it. Mary had an angel show up. Joseph had an angel show up. The shepherds had a multitude of angels show up. But notice an angel doesn't show up for Simeon or Anna. Possibly because God knew they were both older. If an angel showed up, they might have a heart attack. We don't know. To me, they didn't need that kind of confirmation. They didn't need to be persuaded. They knew what they were looking for. Simeon sees that child come into the temple. And he praises God because he knew what God's promise was to him. 
Remember, Simeon said that he would not die until he saw the promise. And look what he says in that prayer. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. In Luce, South Georgia, here's what Simeon said. God, I'm ready to go home. I've seen your child. I'm ready to leave. And Anna, the scripture says Anna told everybody she could about what she saw. If you get there to verse 38, it says, And coming that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him and all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna goes to everybody she knows. She's knocking on the doors. Guess what I just saw? I just saw the Savior. And I got to meet his sweet parents. And she's telling everybody she knows. In this, we see two people who have been hoping, have been waiting, and got to see God answer his God keep his promises. They both experienced it at this moment. Why? Because they were ready. They've been waiting. They've been listening. They've been expecting. They were filled with hope. They were filled with a desire. And day after day, they were waiting for God to remain and continue to be faithful. They were inspired. They were fueled by the hope that God was going to work. Even though they couldn't see it, even though they were surrounded by hardship, even though time had passed and years had gone by, they had both grown older and older, Sin and Anna still held on to hope. It was a hope that was renewed every day. It was a hope that was focused on God and God alone by serving Him, by seeking Him, by serving others, by taking one step faithfully at a time. And for Simeon and Anna, remember I made a statement earlier that the children of God were saying, How long, O oh God? I can imagine both Simeon and Anna making this statement. Of course God came through. He is God. And he keeps his word. And the Messiah is here. And if nobody else in Jerusalem that day, it would be Simeon and Anna who rejoice. Because they had seen this child. They had seen the Savior. They had seen the hope that was for them and set before them, and it was coming into place. When I think about Simeon and Anna, there's three thoughts that come to mind, and then your outline this morning. We're going to move these very quickly. Number one, hope sees beyond. Hope sees beyond. You see, hope is fueled by faith, hope is fueled by dreams. Hope is fueled by possibilities. Hope's that whisper that said, maybe, just maybe. Hope is that spark that becomes a blaze in that dark time. It's that flicker in that new morning. No matter how bad your year has been, no matter what kind of problems you're facing this morning, what kind of struggles you're dealing with, no matter what kind of season of darkness you're experiencing right now, let me encourage you to not abandon hope. Because here's why. Hope is still alive even in our deepest pain and most helpless circumstances. Hope is still alive. It doesn't matter how dark your world is right now. It doesn't matter how big that cloud is that's blocking the sunshine. There is still hope in the middle of your pain. There is hope in those helpless circumstances. You see, hope chases away the darkness. Hope chases away the uncertainty. Because hope is alive, and here's why. Because God is with us. That's why we have hope. And that's the hope that you can experience this morning. 
When I think about hope, my mind immediately goes to Romans chapter 8. Take Romans turn to this a moment. Because I want you to see in Romans chapter 8 what hope looks like in the eyes of Paul. We hear a lot preached from Romans chapter 8. You get to verse um, 1 there and it says, Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul explains our relationship as God's children and what it looks like to live by God's Spirit. And then he kind of shifts to what the future looks like and how God's going to restore us and how God's going to work in us. But then he gets to verses 24 through 26. I want you to see what he said when you think about hope. Look with me right here, starting in verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Look at that verse again. Look at verse 24. There's a statement there that should jump out of the pages to us. Look what it says here. It says, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? The question being asked, why are you hoping for something you already have? You're hoping for what's to come, not for what you already have. It begins with our heart. It begins with our focus. Let me give you an illustration. This might help you. Let's pretend this morning I'm going to give every one of you in here $100. Big one. Wow, that's quick, brother. Here's what's happening right now. You're hoping that I'll give you that $100. You're hoping that I'm going to be true to my word. Because when you leave here, you'll be a $100 preacher. There's hope. But the minute I give you that $100, there's no longer any hope for you. You already have it. So what do you need to hope for now? But if I don't give you that $100, you've now experienced the reality that maybe there is no hope is enough. But hope sees beyond. We don't hope for something we already have. We hope for what's coming. And that's just a reminder. That's what Paul's saying right here because in your outline I've made this statement. Hope precedes, precedes rather, our present reality. Hope by its very nature exists in the uncertainty before. It exists in questions. It even exists sometimes in doubts. It's that unclear sense of what's to come because hope precedes the present reality. So what is it? Hope is the willingness and desire to believe beyond what our present circumstances in reality are presenting to us. That's what hope is. That's what hope looks like. It seems beyond. Because it's taking that desire, that willingness to believe beyond this point. Okay, I'm stuck in this situation. I'm stuck in this problem. I'm hoping I get through it. Once I get through it, I'll have to Because God already taken me through it. That's the hope we find in Scripture. But it leads me to my second, but before I get my second point, look at verse 26. How do we experience this? How do we get to that point where hope looks beyond? Look at what verse 26 says. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. 
The Holy Spirit is what's going to get you through the situation you're in right now. The Holy Spirit is going to get you through those circumstances, those dark clouds you're experiencing. But it leads to my second point, and here's the reminder that God is with us here, now, and always. How does hope look beyond reality? Because God is with us right now. God was with us before. He's here now. He's going to be with us afterward. He is always here. Because with God, there is no uncertainty. With God, He knows the pain you're dealing with right now. He knows the challenges you're experiencing. He knows the hardship. He knows the struggles. Because God knows you. Listen, God was not surprised when this virus mutated and went around the world. It did not catch him off guard. God was not surprised when the economy went. That's Hebrew for going under. God was not surprised when your loved one got that phone call from the doctor. They weren't expecting With the diagnosis they weren't thinking about. God was not surprised. We were surprised. We were caught off guard. But God is never surprised. Even though it's frustrating for us, even though it's confusing for us, even though it's heartbreaking for us, it does not catch God on guard. Why? Because He sees you. God is here. God is with you. We talk about Emmanuel. God with us. And this is the hope He delivers. This is the hope that is embodied and is fulfilled and is brought into this world so long ago. It's the hope that He offers today. It's not a hope He kind of dangles in front of you. It's not a hope that you have to conjure up trying to give to. It's a hope that's a certainty. It's a hope that infuses us. It's a hope that's filled and fanned by God's Spirit. It's a hope that encourages us, even in our weakest point, even in the most grim circumstances, our deepest pain, the gloom. In all that, there is a glimmer of hope because He is always with us. And here's the reminder this morning. Here's my reminder of this. When we feel too weak to carry on, when we feel our grasp slipping on even the ability to try to hope, His Spirit is with us. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what struggle you're dealing with, He is here with you. His Spirit is already in you. Because His Spirit, look what the Spirit does here. It restores us. It's because of the Holy Spirit. It draws us to the promises that are found in His Word. There's those times when you're struggling, and God shows you that light, that hope that's found in His Word. Because He is our Emmanuel. He is that promise. He was promised to the people centuries ago. He still makes that promise today for those who don't know Him. Take your Bibles for just a moment. Turn over to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, we see this promise of hope. Specifically, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says over here. He says, starting in verse 1, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, 
And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Fear not. Look what he says there. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That's God speaking to his children today. You are mine. I have redeemed you. I have brought you back from the pit of darkness. I have brought you back into right relationship with me because of what my son did for you on the cross. Because look what he says in verse 2. And let me tell you, if hope doesn't jump off these pages, maybe you need to re-examine where you are in your walk with him this morning. Because look what it says in verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is hope. No matter what my world looks like, no matter how dark, no matter how high the water is. And let's be honest, there are some days we wonder if we keep our nose above the water. There are some days the fire is so hot, we're wondering if we're going to make it out with our skin still attached. Are we going to be scorched? He says, even though you're walking through this, even though you're dealing with this, he said in verse 1, you're mine. If you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you're his, and guess what? No matter how bad it gets, guess where he is? Right next to you. There he is. There are times he's walking before you. The worst part is when you try to get ahead of him. That's where you get in trouble. But he tells us in this word, there's hope here. There's hope in the past, the present, and the future. It's a hope that only comes from knowing him. And here's this, God is with you every step of the way. He's with you every step of the way. Listen, I'm encouraged by that. Because listen, if we're honest, there are some days you'd rather just hide under the covers. You don't have to raise your hand because you know it's true. There's some days that you've been doom scrolling, and you realize, you know, I just going to lay it on my hand for you to get scared or pass away. Like when we did when we were kids and the storm came through. Or when your parents told you you don't go to sleep, you'll leave a man to get you. And you don't hide under the covers. Because you know he was in the closet under the bed. That's how we feel about 2020. If I put my head under the cover and make those passing through, I was feel like seeing. But because of hope, we have a God who's present. Not a God who's in the distant, wondering what we're going to get through this time. We have a God that is with you right in these moments. When I read these words, I see hope. And here's my third point this morning. And this is probably the most important. We establish these first two. Here's the third one. No matter how bad 2020 has been, here's my reminder for you today. Hope inspires us to carry on. Hope inspires us to continue to move forward. Take your Bibles, turn back to Romans chapter 5, and look what Paul says here. In Romans chapter 5, he talks about the cycle of hope here. He talks about what it looks like and what God does for us during these times, how God helps us, inspires us to carry on. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? Rejoice in what? Hope. You rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not the hope of me. 
not the hope of myself and what I can do, but in the hope of the glory of God, verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory the glory in tribulation. Glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And look at verse 5. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not let you down. Hope carries you on because it says in verse 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Because of the hope that's in God's spirit, God's never going to put us to shame. He's not going to let us down. He's not going to disappoint us. He's going to give us everything we need to grow in our strength, to grow in our walk, to see beyond the pain and confusion that is in our lives. And he's going to empower us with a hope to remind us that his story is greater than what's going on in the world around us. Now, as bad as 2020 has been, there have been glimmers of hope. There have been stories of hope in the midst of the doom scrolling. There have been those stories that give you some encouragement that brighten your day. Let me tell you about a man over in England named Tom Moore. Tom Moore was 100 years old. Tom Moore was challenged by his son to walk 100 laps in his garden. Tom, now Captain Tom Moore, because he was knighted by the Queen of England, started one day being challenged by his son to walk a lap for a dollar, to walk one lap for a dollar, to walk 100 laps. And he wanted to raise money for the health care in This man's 100 years old. This man got his walker and started. This gentleman ended up raising $40 million for the health care system of Britain because his son challenged him. And in an interview with, with Captain Moore, they were asking him, well, how did this get started? Was there a tribe? Was there something that encouraged you? This were, these are his words. He said, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got to the swing of it and kept on going. Captain Moore wants to travel the world when this pandemic's over. The man's 100 years old. I'm going to be that active at He's still going out there. But he said, did you hear that? He said, the first step was the hardest. And once he got going, everything went. And isn't that true for us? Isn't it true for us the first step is the hardest? But isn't that true about hope? Listen, it can be hard to have hope when we're downcast, when our eyes are filled with tears. It's hard to find that spark of hope when we're swallowed up by pain. It's hard to find hope when we're beyond reach because of the trouble we're dealing with. But we forget that we are already in the grasp of an outstretched arm of our Lord and God. Remember, I told you last week we finished up our series about why we believe about God. Remember what I said? Nothing can snatch you from his hand. The pain you're dealing with cannot snatch you from the hand of God because you're already his. You're his children if you know him through his son. Then we have a reminder this morning. Listen, there are days it feels impossible to take that first step because we're weighed down by our burdens, our struggles, our troubles, our so let me close with these reminders. Because when we receive the promise of hope in God's words, we find new strength. When I read about God's promises, that's encouragement. When I read about God's promises, I now have a sense 
opposed, something to strengthen me. When my day really is horrible, and I see God's promises, I know, you know, there's nothing I can't do without Him leading me and guiding me. So when we receive this promise of hope through His Word, we find His strength. When we accept the power of hope granted to us in God's Spirit, we find new inspiration. When you find that hope in you, it encourages you to try that first step, to try something different, to serve Him and glorify Him. Listen to this. When we focus on the power of hope embodied in the birth, life, and death, and resurrection, and return and eternity of Jesus, we discover new strength to take that first step. Do you know what happens? We take that first step, and guess what else comes up? Another step, and another step, and we begin walking, walking, and we might start jogging. Eventually, we're running because God is leading us. God is greater because hope inspires us. Hope invites us. That hope builds upon hope and keeps us going no matter what we're facing. So this morning, here's my question for you. What is your next step of hope today? What is your next step of hope this Advent season? Because here's the problem. We want to see it happen tomorrow because we're human. We don't like waiting. We want to know what the future is. We want to go ahead and skip ahead and get to the end of the story. But our lives don't work that way. We're not designed that way. That privilege has not been granted to us. God knows how the story ends. Jesus knows how the story ends. But we don't know. So what happens is he gives us every day to take that first step to hope in him. When you and I give our life to Christ, that transcends the pain and suffering. Because we have someone who can carry it for us. We have someone who loves us and heals us in the brokenness of our world. This Advent season, you can find hope in the arrival and life of Jesus. You can draw hope in God fulfilling his promises of that long way Messiah. And we can continue to focus on God's continued work in us and around us. And realize that God is still in the process of restoring us back into a right relationship with Him. No matter what life's going at you today on December 6th, you and I can experience hope that is found only in God and only in knowing His Son and allowing His Spirit to work in us and through us and carry us as we deal with what's going on around us to strengthen us, to embolden us, and give us that strength to take that next step. Hope is dawning. Christ is coming back. His return is sooner than it was years ago. His return is sooner today than it was yesterday. So where are you placing your hope this Christmas season? Where is your focus right now this holiday? If we head down here back for us, this moment, we have the song of invitation and being able to respond. But this morning, we've talked about hope. We've talked about this hope that only comes from knowing the Father. And you can only know the Father through the Son. Some of you this morning, most of you, I would assume, know this hope already, but you've forgotten it because you've allowed life to overtake you. You've allowed life to control your steps. You've allowed life to stop you literally in your tracks. In an instant, in a way, you've given up on hope. 
even though his word tells us that we find hope in him. So my prayer for you today, in this Advent season, is that you would be reminded of the hope that is found in the Father through his Son. Because if God doesn't send his Son, and we don't read about him being born in that state, we have no hope. We will still be like the children of Israel waiting. But instead, we're like Simeon and Hannah. We knew it was coming. We get to experience it. So my prayer is that your heart will be open to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. As we enter into this time of response, my prayer is that hearts will be open, that hearts will be receptive, that your spirit will just move it away. Father, you reminded us today that the hope is found because hope is what is not what we see now, but what's coming. And Father, we have found that hope in your Son who died for us. So Father, we thank you for that gift that in this holiday season that we not become so busy, so caught up with other things that we take our focus off of you alone. So Father, work during this time. May your will be done in all things. We simply pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.